You know, uh, tonight, if you want to turn your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians uh, chapter number 2, that's where we'll be in just a moment. But uh, oftentimes we think about missions as we're going to do a thing. And you think about this one item, this one point of time, and you may even think about one city. But tonight I want you to understand that God has a, I would like to say, um, just a canvas that he's painting that is much larger than you and I ever imagined. See, when we think about this canvas, we think about our canvas. We think about our part of it. And if you want to look at dots per inch, oftentimes we're looking at that dots per inch as, wow, I've had a full life or I've had a full five years of ministry or 10 years of ministry. And all we see is what we've seen God do in our lives. But I want you to understand, one day when we get to heaven, we're going to stand and we're going to see this great canvas that God has been working on using the dots per inch in each one of your lives. And he's going to bring that together. And how many of you have ever done a puzzle like a thousand pieces? I, I, I could tell some of you are still bitter about it. But uh, <laughs> the idea is how, how good does it feel when you slide that last piece in the puzzle and the whole thing, it just looks whole. You know, anytime we've done a puzzle in the past, I walk past it and I almost get mad because it's not finished, because it doesn't look like the picture. But let me tell you, when we get to heaven and, and our piece of the puzzle slides in and Brother Ook, who's been working over in Myanmar in the Philippines, his piece of the puzzle is going to slide in and, and Brother Rouse is going to slide in and Sarah's is going to slide in and the Lane's piece is going to slide in and then Bible Baptist of Kingsport is going to slide in and it's all going to fit. We're not going to have to manipulate it and twist it and turn it. It's going to slide into a perfect piece and, and a perfect place and we're going to step back and go, I had no idea that God was doing all of that at the same time. When we consider missions, I want you to understand that this idea that God has designed and given to us in the, the, in the scriptures is much greater than you and I ever imagined. You know, it's, uh, it's one of those things that... Uh, when we, if you've ever heard the song where, where, where you get to heaven, there's a lot of different songs about when you get to heaven and you're seeing different people and the, the one like my wife sang tonight and that influence and I saw Jesus in you and oftentimes it was that person that was watching you that you had no idea. It was that person that uh, saw you on that particular day knowing you were going through that particular trouble and it was a battle of the heart and the mind and the soul and the spirit even to smile that day but God gave you some victory and you were able to smile through the difficulty and that smile was a testimony to that person who said that's real and that's what I want. I want you to understand that's, that's why it's worth it every day to get up and to spend time with God and ask God to help you to be victorious over the flesh each and every day. I, you know, I-24, I often talked about this when I was pastoring in Clarksville. Between Clarksville and Nashville is some of the worst traffic in the world, besides maybe the Dominican Republic, because there's no rules down there. You know, but you get on I-24 and everybody is demanding position. Now, that doesn't bother most of you, right? But it bothers me. It's like, this is my spot, stay out of my spot, and I don't want anybody in front of me. Uh, the church bought us a car a couple of years ago, and it had something called adaptive cruise. Anybody ever had adaptive cruise? 
I'm surprised you're smiling and raising your hand. You say, what does that mean? That means your car automatically maintains the distance that you've, that you've set between you and the car in front of you. You know what that means on I-24 between Clarksville and Nashville? That means everybody thinks you're saving them a place in line. And as soon as they cut in front of you, your car automatically breaks and makes another space for another person to come. And let me tell you, by the time I get to Nashville when I was driving that car, the Holy Spirit had left the building, let me tell you. Well, it's, you have days like that as well. It's days where you slam your finger with a hammer or, or you slam your hand in the door or the, the tire goes flat on the car or, or the child wakes up and just about the time you're walking out the door, they, they spew up their breakfast all over everything and you have to deal with it. I mean, those are the things that happen every day, but I want to encourage you tonight because I want you, as I talked about this morning, our life matters and how we live our life matters because it has an influence, whether it be positive or negative, in other people's lives. And so we want to make sure that no matter where we are, if we're in Central or South America and, and preaching conferences, or we're in Nicaragua or the Dominican Republic, or in, in Myanmar or the Philippines, or, or wherever we may be uh, restarting churches here in the United States, it all matters because God is working on all of this at the same time. So tonight, I want to talk to you or speak to you for a few moments about, and I know there's food afterwards, so that's a difficult time to be in the pulpit when there's food coming, uh, but there's no salad, so there's no rush, right? Okay, so the desserts will wait, the sandwiches won't spoil, and I don't remember what the other S is, but that's all right. What is the other S? Soup, okay, and soup's going to be fine. All right, well, I will rush, but I want to talk to you tonight and really just to kind of remind us of what God's plan of missions is all about. What is God doing when you study the life of Paul in, in the book of Acts? What, what was God doing? Was this all about the great adventures of the Apostle Paul? Was this about the, the great adventures of the Apostles? Or is this, and, and one day will it be the adventures of Bible Baptist Church in Kingsport? I want you to understand that all of this ties together, and we call this God's plan of missions. Now, tonight I'm going to give you some things. We're going to read in 1 Thessalonians chapter number 2, first of all. Let's begin reading in verse number 1. I'm going to read quickly. I'm going to endeavor to read quickly. But I want you to kind of get the flow of the passage as we go into the message. It says, For yourselves, brethren, know our entrance in unto you, that it was not in vain. But even after that we had suffered before and were shamefully entreated, as ye know at Philippi, we were bold in our God to speak unto you the gospel of God with much contention. For our exhortation was not of deceit, nor of uncleanness, nor in guile, but as we were allowed... Siri's talking to me up here. All right, it's muted, but it, she was talking to me. I hate it when that happens. What verse was I in? Verse number four. But as we were allowed of God to be put in trust with the gospel, even so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God which trieth our hearts. For neither at any time used we flattering words, as ye know, nor a cloak of covetousness, God is witness. Nor of men sought we glory, neither of you nor yet of others, when we might have been burdensome as the apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among you, even as a nurse cherisheth her children. 
So being affectionately desirous of you, we were willing to have imparted unto you, not the gospel of God only, but also our own souls, because ye were dear unto us. For ye remember, brethren, our labor and travail for laboring night and day because we would not be chargeable unto any of you. We preached unto you the gospel of God. Ye are witnesses. And God also, how holily and justly and unblameably we behaved ourselves among you that believe. As ye know how we, are exhort, how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you as a father doth his children, that we should walk worthy of God. And I love that phrase right there, that we should walk worthy of God who hath called you unto his kingdom and glory. For this cause also thank we God without ceasing, because when ye received the word of God, which ye heard of us, ye received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which effectually worketh also in you that believe. I'm going to stop reading there, but I wanted you to see really the idea of what the Apostle Paul is trying to communicate here. And tonight, we're going to look at several aspects of this the simplicity of missions, if you will. And we see most of it here in this particular chapter. We'll, we'll go back in chapter number one and pick up a couple of verses. But I want you to understand that if we're going to do the work of the Lord Jesus Christ and we're going to fulfill the responsibility to take the gospel to the, to the generations and to the masses that are around us in the world today, we need to first of all use something that we're very familiar with, but we need to be dependent upon, and that is this thing called prayer. Now, what do I mean by prayer? Well, back in chapter number one and verse number two, he said, we give thanks to God always for you all, making mention of you in our prayers. Uh, understand in Matthew 9, 36, but when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. Then he saith unto his disciples, the harvest truly is plenteous and the laborers are few. And then he says, pray ye therefore. I want you to understand before we embark on anything that has to do with missions, we need to have a prayerful attitude about it. Why is that? Because it allows us to focus, the, uh, focus our mind on the things that really matter. How many of you have ever been involved in something and, and you're just giving it your all and then suddenly you're like, this has no eternal value whatsoever. Anybody ever do that? I used to do that every time my dad told me to weed the garden, amen? Go out and weed the garden. I don't think God's in it, Dad. You know how that went. I'm from Tennessee, but, uh, you know, Dad was like, God is in it, and I'll show you that he's in it if you don't do it. You know, the idea is, if I'm going to embark on this journey of missions, whether it's giving to missions, going, even if it's visiting, or maybe you're just trying to do something that will uh, help shore up some things in missions, and it may be temporary in nature, before we embark on any of that, we need to pause just for a moment and say, Lord, I want your mind, I want your vision, because I don't see the big picture yet. But I know that what I'm doing when I'm prayerfully considering uh, what you're putting on my heart, I understand that this small piece is going to have eternal significance, and I want to make sure I do it right. So when we think about this thing called 
prayer, I want us to understand that it's important. And we see the principle here in the scripture, and we see it time and time again when you study what the apostles were involved in and what the apostle Paul was involved in in his missionary journeys. The second part, and we could spend more time there, but the second thing I want to mention to you is another P, and that is power. Because it's not just doing the right thing. It's not just prayerfully considering how to do the right thing. It's understanding that I may be able to do the job, but if I do it under my power, it's not going to have eternal significance. It's when I'm reliant upon the power of the Holy Spirit of God uh, who indwells me that we're going to be able to accomplish great things for God. Chapter number one and verse number five, he says, for our gospel came not unto you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Ghost and in much assurance. He's saying to you, when, hey, when this, the gospel began to work in you, it was not just man's word. This was the effectual working of the word of God under the power of the Holy Spirit of God. And that's why it had such significant force when it came into your life and was able to change your life. When we think about this power, I want you to understand that the power of the Holy Spirit is the dynamite of missions. It's what really makes missions work. Otherwise, it's just a tourist trip. It's just, hey, let's go to Nicaragua. Let's go to Venezuela. Some of you this morning went, man, I'd love to land on an airstrip like what he talked about. But just, and, and live through it, amen, and be able to write about it later. But the idea is if we're just going so that we can check a box and say, hey, we were able to do this, it's like going on a cruise and getting off in the Grand Caymans and you go, hey, I've been there. It's like taking the U.S. map and checking off the number of states that you visited. Uh, it's a great m memory, but what is the eternal significance? When you go into missions, whether it's into your giving or your pledge or your commitment or you're going on a missions trip or even, hey, let me tell you, Sunday school teachers, when you go into your Sunday school class on Sunday morning, you shouldn't be dependent upon your own power to get it done. I've been teaching Sunday school for 40 years. I know how to do this. Everybody that's under the age of 40 went, whew, he's not talking to me. I was just giving you an example. And, and you would never say that out loud, but in our hearts sometimes we do that. It's, it's uh, when you get up to sing the special and, man, I've been singing this song for 25 years. And, and you get halfway through the song and realize I hadn't even prayed about it. I'm not dependent upon the Holy Spirit of God. But I, I don't just want to sing. I don't just want to fill the ears of the people in the auditorium and fill the space with the sound of my voice. I want the Holy Spirit to be in control of this because if he's moving in my heart, he can move through the message of the song and the message of the word of God and he can work in the hearts of those that are hearing it. So we need to decide if we're going to be involved in this missions, not only am I going to be prayerful about it, but I'm going to be dependent upon the power of God in my life. Acts 4.33, it says, And with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. You know, I was just reminded, the Lord brought this to my mind, a couple of years, well, five years ago, Chris and I were on a missions trip in Peru. We went down to see Mike Kennedy and his wife and uh, took a group down from our church in Clarksville to work in uh, the orphanage there. And one day, and if, you got to know Mike. Mike's about the same size as Wally and I, just a big guy. Mike's not afraid of anything. And when you get up and you're visiting Mike on the mission field, you have no idea what's coming today. And neither does Mike. 
True story. So I tell everybody in our group, I've had groups of 40 down there, hey, check your expectations at the door and just hang on because it's going to be a good day. We just don't know what we're going to do. So this one day, I, we went to breakfast downstairs, and Mike looked at me, and he said, hey, man, you got a bunch of veterans with you in this group. I said, yeah, a couple of my deacons and some other folks are here. He said, I, I just got this great idea. Let's go down to the, to the national police, and let's knock on the door and see if we can get in there and, and, and give them the gospel. Okay. <laughs> Did you pray about this, Mike? So we get on this big Greyhound bus, we drive two hours across Lima, Peru, going through all the traffic, and we pull up at this big steel gate that's, that's closed, and Mike gets off the bus and he says, hey, we want to go in and see who's in charge. We have 30 Americans, and they're looking at us like, who do you think you are? But then they were like, okay. So they open the gate, we walk in. I mean, I've got teenagers, I have grandmas and grandpas and everything in between, and they're all just do-to-do going along. What are we going to do here? And we walk into this colonel's office. And this colonel says, uh, he's very gracious and very hospitable. He brings in enough chairs for everyone to sit in his office. And we're all sitting around, and, and he's, he's a little pomp and circumstance, circumstances. He's telling us who he is and what his position is and all the accomplishments. I mean, all very spontaneous. And then he looks at Mike and he says, uh, and what are you here for? He said, well, we came today to get to know you, and we'd like to tell you. And this is all in Spanish. And he said, uh, we'd like to tell everyone in your building about the Lord. He said, well, great. Well, uh, what day would you like to come back? And Mike said, well, we're here now. <laughs> now think about this. You're in your office, and this is happening, okay? And uh, the colonel, he was quiet for a second, and he said, Okay, he picks up the phone, and I could understand what he's saying in Spanish. He said to the lady at the front desk, uh, put out a page on the intercom, say, everybody upstairs in the conference room except for one person at the receptionist's desk in five minutes. We're looking around, and we went, it's on, guys. You're wondering what we're going to do today. God just opened an effectual door, just wham, that we didn't expect while we're eating our Fruit Loops around the orphanage at breakfast that morning. We went upstairs, and five minutes later, they began to file in, and these are all high-ranking officers in the Peruvian military. And they walk in, there was about 65 of them, and they sit down, and they're sitting, you know, not at attention, but certainly they're, they're erect, and they're standing there, and, and they're, they're, they're like, who are these people? This was not on my day planner today. I've got things to do, but they're sitting there, and they're looking at us, and again, we're all around the room, and we began to give testimonies, and some of my veterans, my deacons, began to give their testimony about how that God had spared them on the battlefield and how that they had come to know Christ at their time in service. And others one would stand up and say that it's, it's impossible to be an effective officer if you do not know Christ. It's, it's impossible for you to have compassion unless you know Christ. And then I got up and gave the gospel and we gave an invitation and, and about 55 of those 65 stood and identified that they were trusted Christ as their Lord and Savior that day. Again, you're sitting there at breakfast and you don't really have a plan for the day and God opens the door and when God moves, it's an amazing thing. The story didn't stop there. The colonel who had told us downstairs in his office, he said, yo soy católico. He said, I'm a Catholic. I mean, he's proud of it. And he said, uh, but you need to tell our men about Christ. But upstairs, he heard 
about the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and how to come to know Christ. And he stood at attention with his men and he said, I'm trusting Christ as my Lord and Savior. When we were about to leave a few minutes after this was all done, probably an hour and a half later, we were about to leave and the colonel said, I have a whole nother group of men that will be here tomorrow for training. Can you come back tomorrow? I looked at Mike and I said, my schedule's clear tomorrow. How about yours? It was four hours of riding on the bus. It cost us about $450 to rent that bus to go over there and back. I said, we're in, Mike. Let's do it. God's doing something here. We went back the next day. The next day, same thing. We had scores of men and women that trusted Christ as their Lord and Savior. The colonel stands up again and he said, I have a whole other group coming tomorrow. Can you come? This is the third day. Another $450 out of my budget. But I knew God was doing something. We came back the third day. It was interesting. A whole other group of men. We had well over 100 saved that week in that one location where God had opened a door for us to go in. That's that power that we're talking about. I, I don't see that. Only God can do that. Only God can orchestrate it. Only God can put a group of people together where the pastor speaks Spanish, but he has several veterans and police officers that are in his group. Only God can put all of that together to put us in the right place at the right time to, affect, or to accomplish his work and put another piece in that puzzle that I just go, wow. The third day we go back and at the end the colonel walks up to the whiteboard and I'm thinking, okay, he's been saved two days. What in the world is he going to say? He began, I was translating to our guys that are, our guys that are, are English speakers. I'm translating from Spanish to English. And he is, um, he's up there on the whiteboard and he's writing and he's talking about all of the reasons why you must know Christ in order to be a good police officer or a good officer in the military. And I'm thinking to myself, who is this man? He's got saved two days ago, but he's writing out an outline on the board that made it sound like he would have been saved for 10 or 12 years. And, and as a matter of fact, it was so mesmerizing that I stopped translating. And finally, one of my deacons went, Pastor, you stopped talking. What's he saying? Because they all felt the electricity in the air and they all knew that the Holy Spirit of God was doing something. There was a transformation that had taken place in this man's life that had just simply been hospitable to us. And now he's preaching to these men and these women that are in uniform. We finished that day and he said, he said, I know it's a lot to ask. He said, but in uh, November, which would have been four or five months later, he said, I have, a, I have a, a, an opportunity where I'm going to have a thousand officers and their families that are coming together and it's more of a morale booster. They're coming from all the different districts around Lima, Peru. He said, is there any way, and he, he knew I wasn't going to be there. He looked at Brother Mike. He said, is there any way that you can come and preach this to the whole congregation. And Mike said, we'll do better than that. We'll feed him. I'm thinking, this man runs an orphanage. He's going to come in with five loaves and two fishes, and God's going to have to do something big. <laughs> but you know what? We've been back for five years in a row now. We've seen literally probably between 650 and 800 uh, military in Peru get saved. And it all started that one day when we rolled up to that gate, not knowing what was on the other side. You know, when we talk about this thing of missions, I want you to understand the missionaries that are visiting with you this week, that power doesn't just, it's not just available to them. It's available to you. 
I want you to understand that when you drive down the streets of Kingsport, Tennessee, that the same spirit that will, has done that in my life, he can do it in yours. And he can open your eyes to more opportunities that you've never experienced before if you simply pray about your day and you depend upon the power of the Holy Spirit of God in your life. Let's go to the next one. The next one is found in chapter number 2 and verse number 2. What did they do after they had prayed and sought the leadership of the Holy Spirit of God? Verse number 2 of chapter 2, it says, But even after they had suffered, or that we had suffered, excuse me, before, and were shamefully entreated, as ye know, at Philippi, we were bold in our God to speak. I simply say here that we are to preach. That is, preaching the Word of God was the very backbone of missions that you read about here in the New Testament. It's that preaching in Acts chapter number 8 and verse number 5, Philip went down to the city of Samaria and he preached Christ unto them. Uh, chapter 8 and verse number 25, and they, when they had testified and preached the Word of the Lord, returned to Jerusalem and preached the the gospel in many villages of the Samaritans. I told you about Wasaranya this morning, I believe, didn't I? Uh, where we landed on that crooked airstrip that went around the base of the mountain. I didn't tell you we were there for two days and we were preaching Christ to them. Um, we could have had an invitation where we said, if you want to go to heaven, raise your hand. They all would have raised their hand, but they wouldn't have understood all that you and I understand about the Lord Jesus Christ. But we had two, mission, or two uh, Indian missionaries that were there with us that had been trained in Chahudanya. And when we left that village, they said, Pastor, we would like to go back. We can move there without an invitation because we have family there. And they went back to Wasaranya and established the first independent Baptist church in the village of Wasaranya, who never wanted anyone to come. God ordained that, and he worked that out, even for the life of that young infant, for his life to be spared, to open the heart of the, of the chief of that village. And now there's a church there where there had never been a church before. And what are they doing there? They're preaching the Lord Jesus Christ, because that's what missions is all about. You know, you can go and you can teach them how to raise corn. You can teach them how to uh, have personal hygiene. You can teach them how to work on their car. All of those things are great. You can teach them how to fly airplanes and evangelize. But let me tell you, the, the thing that we need to be teaching folks is preaching to them the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and training them to preach because it's by the foolishness of preaching that men are going to be saved. We need to understand that. So it's important for us. All of those other things are great, but until you preach, you're not fulfilling what God has called us to do. Let me give you a couple of other ones here tonight, and then, then, then we'll be done. First of all, this other one after uh, preaching is this word practice. Look at chapter number 2 and verse number 12. What do I mean by this? I love this verse. We read it once before, but it says that you would walk worthy of God. We would walk worthy of God. In other words, this practice, according to James 1.22, but, uh, but be ye what? Doers of the word and not hearers only. In other words, we're teaching through our own lifestyle and our own testimony that not only do you hear the word, not only do you study the word, not only do you preach the word, but you live it. You practice it. Let me tell you, parents, how many of you ever realized maybe you were raising your kids and suddenly your kids started doing or saying something that you realized you did. And when you saw it in them, you went, oh man, I don't need to be doing that anymore. I guess it was just me. That's never happened to you guys? I mean, you hear something out of the car seat in the back seat and you go, where in the world did they hear that? And your wife just smiles at you. And you go, oh. 
I don't want that. I don't want to hear it in them, so I don't want to hear it out of me. I want to practice. I want to live Christ. I want, to, I want Christ to be so prevalent in my life that, that I am no longer visible, but when folks look at me and they see me, they see Christ. Because then it's not just you telling them, it's you showing them that this means enough to me that I'm going to do it in my life. I'm going to live this. And we learn the reason why. So all of this has to do with missions. When you think about this, these missionary families are going to live in these particular countries and they're going to adopt this culture and adopt this language and they're going to go through some difficulties. And probably Monday and Tuesday night, I'm going to talk about this at length, about missionaries. We're going to go away from necessarily how to do missions, but I want you as a church to understand who missionaries are and how to purposely pray for them, how to read those prayer letters that are out there on, on, the, on the, the buffet table out here in the lobby, or that's what I'm calling it, a buffet table, but because it's a Baptist church, there's food on it sooner or later, so it must be a buffet table, but out there in that notebook where you look through the prayer letters, I want to teach you some things the next couple of nights. When you read those letters, you're going to go, that's what they're talking about. That's what they're going through. And we're going to lay out the lifespan of a missionary from beginning to what is very likely to be the end of their life and their ministry. And we're going to break that down into six different sec sections. And I'm going to explain it in detail over the next couple of nights. And I hope and pray that you're able to be here because there will be some eye openers for you in that. And, and the reason why I say that is because for many years, this is how my prayer went. I didn't intend for it to go this way, but it's how it kind of developed. I got to the point where I wanted to pray for the missionaries, and I was overwhelmed by the number of them. And I'd simply say, Lord, bless the missionaries. And I want you to take it a step farther. And I think those messages will really help you. What I'm talking about here is, how we live out our life in front of the world. Where we don't say, do as I say, not as I do. Where we say, as Paul said, uh, whatsoever you have seen and heard in me, that also do. That's my paraphrase. We want it to be, hey, this is a consistency. He says this, he does this, his children are doing this. There's something substantive about this message and I want to apply it in my life. And then lastly, as we've planted churches, I want you to understand, in the end, in chapter number 2 and verse number 2, look at that again. It says, uh, but even after, our, even after we had suffered before and were shamefully entreated, as you know at Philippi, we were bold in our God to speak unto you. Ultimately, the goal of missions is not only for the missionaries to go, not only for, uh, yes, for the missionaries to go and to preach the gospel and to live that life in front of them and to be spirit-filled in front of them, eventually you want those folks to be perfected in the Lord to the place where they overcome the persecutions, when their family turns their backs on them because they've given their life to Christ, and suddenly they said, hey, I want to be used by God to proclaim the gospel. That's when missions comes full circle and begins to reach even the next generation. That's when the gospel goes to Myanmar and then beyond Myanmar. That's when the gospel goes to the Philippines. They've had a revival in the Philippines unlike any other place in the world for a number of years now. As a matter of fact, they said it will not be long before there will be more missionaries sent out of the Philippines around the world than there is out of the United States. 
You know why that is? Because God has been doing a work in the Philippines and they understand this role of missions and they want to be a part of it and they're going to the regions beyond. You know, what's amazing to me is that a Filipino can go into places in Southeast Asia that an American cannot go into. Some six foot five white Tennessean can't go into some of those places in South Vietnam, North Vietnam. I can't go into those places. Why? I'm not welcome there. But God has orchestrated it where a Filipino that gets saved, he can go into some of those places completely undetected and have an amazing ministry. So I, as we look at all of this tonight, I want you to understand God's plan is strategic. And it's a lot bigger than we could have ever imagined. And so I want you to go home tonight, and, and even tonight when you're, we're having the roundtable discussions and you're asking your questions, I want you to think about the strategic aspect of missions and what each one of these missionaries is going to be involved in. You know, my wife and I are, are involved in church planning specifically to the military. That doesn't mean we blast past everybody else on the road, even the nationals. No, our desire is to preach Christ to everyone. Amen. Our focus is on the U.S. military because we believe there's a great need there. But as we're strategic in that, we need to understand that God's going to open a gate for us in Peru from time to time. He's going to introduce us to Jessica in the drive through window at Bojangles who's a single mom trying just to raise her kids and do her best, and God's going to put me in the drive-thru at a particular time so that Jessica can hear the good news of Jesus Christ and give her life to Christ. Understand, God's doing some amazing things. If you had asked me 20, well, it's longer than that. I'm getting older. I'm catching Brother Walter here. If you would have asked me and you had asked Brother Wagner when we were traveling together in college, so what do you see your life being like? I'm pretty confident that my answer would not have looked anything like what I see in my rearview mirror at this point of life. But I wouldn't trade it for anything. I'm glad he gave me just enough glimpse, like that carrot on the end of that fishing pole. Whoop just to keep me moving forward so that one day I could take a glimpse in the mirror and go, wow, it's been a great journey, but it's not over yet.